behind. Give me that red microphone right there. And um, appreciate all the good singing. Appreciate the testifying tonight. I'm glad we're in a church where people still get up and brag on Jesus. Amen. And a lot of places you go nowadays, if you ask for a testimony, you wouldn't get one. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But in churches, and I don't think you ought to have to ask for them. Nothing wrong if we do, but I think we ought to be come to church ready to worship God, ready to magnify His name. He's certainly worthy of that tonight. Luke chapter number 9, if you're able to stand with us tonight just for the reading of God's Word, and they'll bring the message and, bring, and preach just a few moments tonight. Luke chapter number 9 and verse number 46. Luke 9 and verse 46. The Bible said, Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest? And Jesus, perceiving the thoughts of their heart, took a child and set him by him, and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all the same shall be great. Father, I ask if you would to bless the reading of thy word. I pray you'll speak to our hearts tonight. May you be glorified in all that will be said and done. And we'll thank you for it, for we do love you. We ask it in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach tonight on this subject, on who amongst us is the greatest. Whom amongst us tonight is the greatest. Notice the, the problem in verse number 46. The Bible said, Then there arose a reasoning among them which of them should be greatest. When you think about this problem tonight, uh, this problem is on the arise. The Bible said that there arose a reasoning. What that means is, is that it was a problem that started out small, but it kept growing. It kept building. It was something that, that was growing amongst them. And so uh, we see that this problem is an argument. The Bible said that then there arose a reasoning, a debate, a, an argument amongst them. That they're starting, the waters are starting to stir amongst the disciples here. Uh, concerning this. And you know, that's something we always have to be careful about is that problems come amongst us sometimes. And, and we must realize that, that that you and I have to be on guard. We are the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in, in Christ. But we have to be careful that we avoid arguments that are not worth having. Amen? I think there are arguments in life that we ought to stand. You say, what kind of arguments is that? On the principles of the Word of God. But we're not to argue amongst each other. So the problem the problem here is on the arise, the problem is an argument, and the problem is amongst them. I think as Christians tonight, we must be careful that we don't let anything come between our soul and the Savior, but we ought not let anything come between us. Isn't that right? I mean, we to, we're to love each other, we're to pray for each other, we're to hold each other up. Doesn't mean we have to agree with everything on each other. It doesn't mean that we have to accept everyone, but we don't have to attack each other. Isn't that right? And we don't have to argue about things a spiritual man and a spiritual lady will always avoid an argument at any cost. Now, some people just like to argue. Hey, y'all probably know somebody like that. I mean, there's some people, they're professional arguers, if that's a word. I mean, they'll, they'll argue. I mean, if you say, well, it's a beautiful out, uh, day outside, they'll argue that. Standing in the sunshine, amen? Standing, I say, well, I don't know about that. And they, they always, they, they got an argumentative spirit about them. But even at the best, 
sometimes that can become into all of our life. And so we see the problem. But then notice the pride in verse number 46. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest? I mean, think about this. They're arguing that, that we see the problem, the pride of this argument. You know, I think in every argument, pride shows its face. When people have to be the one to have the last word, have to be the one to be right, have to be the one to, uh, you know, to get one up or to have the final, the final say, the final comment, that's all pride in and of itself. And here in this text, they're arguing or they're debating uh, about who of them uh, should be the greatest. Now, when you think about this, uh, this element of pride, it has to do with who is to be the first amongst them, the greatest. That, that would be who's first, amen? Who's number one who is in the forefront and God's children should never be concerned about being first at anything because we ought to just be glad we're in this thing amen doesn't matter if I'm first second or one number one thousand or one million it's just good to be in amen and it's pride amen who is to be first and then when you think about that phrase which of them should be greatest it not only has to do with who is to be first but who is to be followed they're arguing about who's the greatest, who, who's going to come behind me, who's going to be first, who's going to be followed, who is going to, to be favored. I, I mean, listen, one uh, has to do with how people look at you, and the other one has to do with how people love you, and the other one has to do with how people uh, lead behind you. Uh, they want to be the leader. They want to be the greatest. Uh, I want to say that's killing a lot of churches today. It's even killing a lot of preachers, amen, uh, wanting to be the greatest, uh, wanting to be number one, Wanting to be top dog. I mean, it can destroy a family when one sibling wants to be more favored than the other sibling. It doesn't matter where you fit it in. It's always pride and it's always a problem when you want to be the greatest. Who amongst us is the greatest? I see the problem. I see the, the pride. But when we get to verse 47, I want you to notice the perception. The Bible said, and Jesus perceiving the thoughts of their heart. I mean, Jesus no doubt saw their actions and he saw their attitude. He knew what their agenda was to, to be the greatest. But, but more so than that, uh, he knew the thoughts of their heart. Uh, he knew what was going on on the inside. Now, I don't believe uh, that they were dumb enough just, uh, uh, just to say, well, I'm the greatest. Uh, uh, you know, I'm better than this one or I'm better than that one. No, uh, they put it under the cloak of religion uh, uh, concerning the kingdom of heaven. But they all, uh, Jesus knew that they had had that desire, they had that motive uh, to be the greatest. Well, I'm glad he can perceive all things. I believe in dressing right and doing right and spitting white and, uh, you know, and all that other good stuff, you know. But I want to tell you something. Uh, you can have everything on the outside right, but the inside, he sees the inside. Now, that doesn't mean the outside is to be wrong. It ought to be right on the outside. But there's more to it than what you see in my life and what I see in your life. I'm glad there's an all-seeing eye. You know, I'm glad God can see my heart. I'm glad he can see my thoughts. And I'm glad he knows the very intent, the motive of what I'm doing. He knows why I'm preaching this message right now. He knows the motive of me even being standing up here. I can preach everything. And I'm not telling you that I'm always this way. But what I'm saying is, is that I could preach nothing but truth during this sermon. And you can walk away and say, well, that was the truth. But Jesus sees the motive of my heart. 
He knows why I'm really up here. I think when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to be about, you know, did we, not just about, did we sing the right songs? Did we preach the right sermons? Did, did we go on visitation? Did we pay our tithes? Did we do all these things that Christians are supposed to do? I don't think it's going to be just all about that. I'll tell you what, the fire is going to try, not just the works, but of what sort the works are. Why did we give our tithes? Why did you preach that sermon? What was the motive of singing that song? And I'm going to tell you anything that does not glorify him will go to ashes at the judgment seat of Christ. He perceives, am I doing it because people are looking? Am I doing it for reward, for recognition, for title, for trophy? I'm glad he can see it all. You know, I thank God that we have the Holy Spirit to point out the things in our heart. The preacher could be up preaching like, I'm going to be honest with you. I have absolutely no idea right now why I'm preaching this sermon. I'm just telling you that. It doesn't even make sense to me to be preaching this sermon right now. I mean, it's truth and, and it's got to be preached, but uh, this afternoon as I was praying, God put that message on my heart. I want you to preach that. Uh, who amongst us is the greatest? And you know the first thing popped in my head was, why do I need to preach that tonight? I don't think nobody at Bible Baptist Church is trying to one-up on somebody else. I mean, I'm being honest with you. But why would, Lord, why do I need to preach that? He said, because I told you to. I don't know anybody's heart. I, I don't know anybody's life. And thank God, I'm glad I don't have to know. And I, you know, listen, even if I thought I knew somebody's motive, even if I thought I knew somebody's heart, I really don't know a person's heart. I don't really know what's going on. But there is one tonight. He sees everything in these pews and in this pulpit. He perceives everything. He's the most sensitive person in this service tonight. It is the Holy Spirit. He knows the very thought. He knows the very intent of our heart. He knows what needs to be said, doesn't he? In fact, sometimes we preach sermons and we may think that it did absolutely no good and that this crowd doesn't need that, but God knows it may be one person that needs this message tonight. It may be 10, it may be 50, it may be everybody, including me. It may be preventive medicine. It may be something that's bogging us down tonight. I do not know what it is, but I'm so glad that God knows. I'm glad that God can take one sermon, chop it up in however many pieces it needs to be chopped up in, and he can give you what you need, and he can give me what I need. He can hand it out to us, and he deals with us on an individual basis tonight. I see the problem. I see the pride, the perception. He knew, he knew exactly what was going on. And then I noticed the person. Look at verse 47. And Jesus, perceiving the thoughts of their heart, notice this, took a child and set him by him. The person is a child. Jesus did not choose another disciple for his illustration. He did not choose an adult for his illustration. He did not choose some great prophet, but he chose a child. The person is a child. This person is chosen. The Bible said that he took a child, meaning that this child did not volunteer. This child did not ask to be put in this position. But here in this text, for this great principle, for this great thought that is being laid out before it, Jesus, when he wanted to use someone, he did not use one of the disciples. He used a child. You know, God can use anybody. Anytime, anywhere, any place. And you don't have to get nobody's approval to do that. You know, sometimes I've seen God use people and I've scratched my head and like, wonder how, how did that happen? You ever done that? How did God use that person? Same way he used me. 
It's a miracle that he would use anybody. You say, why? I don't understand how that person got used and, and I didn't get used. How did God use them? Same way he uses all of us. Uh, it's not us that does anything. It's him that does everything. Uh, all we can be is a tool in his hand, uh, a channel that he can work through, but we don't have any ability in and of ourselves. Uh, God don't need no talent. God doesn't need uh, intellect. God doesn't need popularity. He don't need personality. He gave us all that stuff uh, and he doesn't get anywhere. But I'll tell you when God gets in something, when God puts his hand on someone. That's what makes a difference. And in this text here, he's going to put his hand not on a disciple. He's going to put his hand on a child. The person is chosen. I like this. This person is close. Look what the Bible says. He set him by him. They're wanting to know who the greatest is. And the first thing Jesus does is he gets a child and he sets him beside him. Lord, can my son sit at your right hand? Jesus pulls that child close to him. It's a place of position. He took someone small. He took someone simple. He took someone that struggles. Children struggle. They, they don't know everything. They don't know how to do anything. Hardly as they're growing, they're just learning in life. And they depend on their parents. They depend on everybody. They depend on their teacher. They can't really uh, provide for themselves. And, and they can't work a job and take care of themselves. Uh, they have to constantly de be dependent upon somebody else. Uh, they live a very simple life. Uh, and, and, and a lot of times uh, they're small. And Jesus... Jesus took someone that was small and someone that was simple and someone that would be identified as someone that would be dependable, someone that would struggle, and Jesus pulled them close beside him. I'm going to tell you, that's who always gets beside Jesus. The small, the simple, the struggling. Brother Josh talked about I don't always do right. Hey, we could all raise our hand tonight. We all don't do right all the time. I want to do right. I want to do right every day, don't you? I, I want to strive every day to be what God would have me to be. But the truth of the text is I'm always coming up short in some area of my life. But thank God he makes up the difference. And I'm glad he don't push me away because I struggle. He don't push me away because I'm small, as small as I am. He don't push me away because I'm simple. But if you'll stay small and you'll stay simple, and even though you may struggle, he'll still let you get beside him. And I see the person. But we come to our text tonight. I want you to notice the preaching. Jesus delivers a little sermon in verse 48. He said unto them, He's going to preach a sermon. This sermon has four little points in this text here and it has to do with, with what a great disciple is known for, what they're, what they're known about. And we'll see it in this text. You say, preacher, what is, a, what is the greatest, what is a great disciple known for? I'll tell you what they're known for, the greatest amongst us. They're known, this disciple is, by receiving others. The Bible said, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. Amen. Jesus said a great Christian, a great individual is somebody that's known by who they receive. They, they receive others. And a child would have easily been overlooked. A, a child would have easily uh, been passed by as being insignificant in the presence of our Lord amongst others, but, but not to Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to be great, greatness is known by who we receive. And, and I want to tell you tonight, that's, what, that's the identity mark of a real Christian, is that we have love one toward another, and that we 
love sinners and that we have compassion on sinners. Uh, we're not going to, uh, listen, we're not going to compromise and we're not going to uh, say that their sin is okay and we're not going to pat them on the head and tell them what they're doing is all right. But we ought to be known by how that we love people. We ought to be known how that we love sinners and how we love the saints. Uh, I don't think a person that's always causing trouble in church is right with God. Amen? I don't think a person always going around stirring up a mess in the, in the house of God and always can't get along with this person one week and can't get along with that person the next week. Hey, they got a real spiritual problem. Amen? I don't care if they shout their socks down. I don't care if they sing like a hummingbird. I don't care if they can quote the Pentateuch this, this evening. I'm telling you, if they're right with God, they'll be known that they'll have a good spirit and they'll love one another. Is that right? Hey, some people I've met in church, they're the most cantankerous people I've ever seen. I mean, ornery and ill and grumpy and gripey. Hey, you say, what happens? That's the first sign of a backslid spirit. Go home and read the book of Jonah. Jonah backslid in his spirit before he ever backslid anywhere else. And even after God, it took away a gourd. Now, even though Jonah, Jonah saw great revival. The only problem with the book of Jonah is Jonah never had revival. He preached a great revival. He said, oh, but now preacher, you read chapter two. He prays a pretty good prayer and repents. Uh, you would too if a whale swallowed you. You'd promise God everything in the book, wouldn't you? To get out of it. That whale puked him out on the other side. He went preaching through Nineveh. They had revival, but when you get to chapter four, it's same old Jonah. Spirit never changed. He just prayed himself out of a hard place. I'm telling you tonight that how we treat others is a reflection of our Christianity. It's a reflection of our heart. It's a reflection of our soul. Who is the greatest amongst us? Uh, Jesus said great, a great Christian is known by how they receive others. Uh, and thank God we ought to treat everybody equally. We ought to treat everybody the same. Uh, hey, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Uh, uh, there's no big eyes and no little U's. Isn't that right? Uh, I mean, it's not about competition and it's not about personality and it's not about lifting this person up or lifting that person up. We're to lift Jesus up and we're to magnify Christ and the bottom line is we just need everybody and don't be a person I don't think there's nobody here but I hope there's not don't be a person that's always feeling sorry for yourself so I don't have any friends nobody likes me we'll try smiling sometimes I don't have any friends. Nobody wants to talk to me. You know how you have, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. Nobody wants to be a friend to a grizzly bear. Is that right? I could use a few other animals, but I'm just going to for the sake of time not do that. But nobody wants to be friends with somebody that's unfriendly. Amen. You just got to walk across the aisle. You just got to shake their hand. You say, well, they may not want to talk to me. It don't really matter. Make them talk to you. I've, been, I've seen people before and I thought, you know, I like that person. I don't know if they like me, but I like them and they're going to be my friend. They don't have a choice in the matter. I've, I've even met people that I knew they didn't like me, but I just kept working on them. That's what you got to do. 
I just kept working on them, kept working on them, kept working on them. And you know, some people took a little, and finally, I don't know if they really liked me or if they just gave up, but they just decided he ain't going away, amen. I mean, listen, he's here to stay. I might as well be a friend to, hey, you know what that's called? It's just called hospitality. You just gotta do it. It doesn't matter how they treat you. It doesn't matter if they ever accept you. Friendship isn't based on a two-way street. You ask Jesus that. Friendship is out of a pure heart. How you receive others. Amen. Great. Who amongst us is the greatest? Well, Jesus said a great disciple is known by he receives others. And then he recognizes others. Look at this. Jesus said, Whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. You know what Jesus does in this text? He said, If you receive a child, you receive me. But if you receive me, you receive the Father. You know what Christ does? He doesn't point people to himself. He recognizes the Father. He points, and I know Jesus was equal with God, but Jesus points them to his heavenly Father. I want to say that's what real Christianity is. It's, it's about pointing people to our heavenly Father. You know, in a conversation, when I have a conversation with someone, they should never walk away feeling worse off spiritually than they were when we started. They ought to walk away encouraged, not discouraged. They ought to walk away positive, not, not negative. They ought to minister grace unto the hearers. And what I say to them should not tear anyone down or tear them down, but it ought to build others up. Is that not the way it's supposed to be? You say, well, preacher, is that not sticking your head and saying, no, it's being a Christian, amen? It's pointing them to higher ground. It, it's helping them go in the right direction. It's saying the right things, amen? That we can all talk about negative things. We can all talk about, uh, you know, uh, uh, things that would pull everybody down, but it's not gonna help matters any. I'm not preaching a Joel Osteen message. I'm not going to tell you every Friday, every day's a Friday. That's not true. I think he wrote a book years ago, Every Day's a Friday. I thought that's the biggest lie I've ever read. Go to work tomorrow and tell yourself all day, every day's a Friday. You're not getting paid tomorrow. You're not getting off on Tuesday. Every day's not a Friday. No, there's hilltops and there's valleys and, and there's hard times and, and there's struggles. But through it all, we have a heavenly Father that helps us and aids us and, and takes care of us. And that's who people need to see in us. Amen. You know, you can look at Jesus and recognize the Father. And when people look at us, who do they recognize? What do they see? A great Christian never talks about themselves. A great spirit-filled Christian never magnifies themselves, never elevates themselves, never lifts themselves up, never causes people to think much of them. The Bible said, let another man praise thee. The Bible said, if a man think of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Don't deceive yourself this morning or this evening. Don't waste time. You say, but I want people to think good of me. They'll think better of you if you'll, if you'll point them to Christ. Point them to the Father. Who amongst us is the greatest? Well, it's known by receive, he receives others. He, he recognizes others. It's also known by how we rank ourselves. Look what he said in verse number 48. For he that is least amongst you all. You want to know who the greatest amongst you is? He's at the least. You want to know who is on top of Jesus' list in the kingdom? 
He that's on the bottom. The way up with God, you've heard it. It's down. God resisteth the proud, but He gives grace to humble people. Humble people may not have their name in life. And humble people may not get all the accolades of this world. Humble people may get passed over by other people because they don't have the big personality or they're not going to just walk out there and just put themselves out there. They're not going to blow the trumpet of what they've done. They're just going to let God get the praise. They may not be seen by many down here, but they're seen by the one that counts. They're noted by the one that counts. They may be last on the list of anything thing down here, but they're first on his list. Uh, and I'll tell you, a great person is one that knows how to rank themselves. I'm just flesh. Uh, we're just wicked. Now, uh, listen, we're nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I can't even get out of the bed in the morning if God don't help me. I won't open my eyes for another sunrise if he don't give me the breath and the strength to do it. And too many times, if we're not careful, and if I'm not careful, we can have a high evaluation of ourselves. David found mercy when David got low. Every person in the Bible that got low found what they needed. Jesus, the greatest man that ever walked, and he was the God man, but he was the greatest man that ever walked in shoe leather. And the Bible said he made himself of no reputation. I read a statement the other day that said, live your life in a way where others will forget you and remember Christ. Live in a way that you'll not be remembered, but that He'll be remembered. In a day when everybody wants to be remembered, not everybody, but you know what I'm saying. In a day when so many people feel like they they can't do anything without being noticed and without being seen, Great Christians we've read about. They hid themselves. Oh, tonight, who is the greatest amongst us? Great Christians are known by receiving others and how they recognize others and how they rank themselves and then finally how they reward themselves. The same shall be great. Tonight, you say, preacher, who is the greatest I'll tell you what's interesting about verse 48. When Jesus ends the verse, he's not talking about greatest. He's talking about being great. Look at verse 46. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them, notice this, should be greatest. Look at the last part of that verse. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be not greatest, but great. You say, what's the difference? One has to do with competition. The greatest competition. The other one has to do with Christianity. Just being great. Muhammad Ali said he was the greatest of all time. You know, the old saying is, if you say something loud enough and long enough, people believe it. You say he was a great boxer. Sure he was. It's awful... Big statement to say you're the greatest of anything. 
There are people that'll believe things just because they hear it long enough and, and they hear it loud enough. Jesus said, hey, Christ, the Christian life, the kingdom of God serving me, it's not about competition. It's not about being the greatest. But Jesus said, I will tell you how to be great and how you be great is you just become the least. Why is that true tonight, church? I'm gonna tell you why. Because the smaller we are, the greater he is. The more little I can become, the more larger he can become. I'm afraid that what grieves the Holy Spirit in a lot of our meetings and places and so forth and so on is see too much of the flesh. We don't see enough of him. I mean, when a singer gets up to sing, and I'm thankful that it's not that way here. I don't ever want it to be, and I know you don't either. But when a singer gets up to sing, I'm so glad it's not a performance around here. And I'm glad it's not a competition. And don't let anybody tell you it is. Amen. We don't have favorite singers in this church. We just have church singers. That's why nobody here is getting a bus. Can I get an amen? Or a pack of cigarettes. If you get a bus, most of them, you know, that them diesel sniffers usually smoke them cigarettes with it. Amen. We're not having a group in that we got to call a booking agent. Is that right? No, we're not doing that. You got a set price for the service of God. I say take your diesel bus and head on down the road somewhere else. Because we're not interested in entertainment, we're interested in worship. Can I get a witness on that tonight? It's not about, oh, this preacher's the greatest and, and this preacher. No, it's not about that. It's about being great for God. And how you be great for God is you, you stay little and you stay small and, and you, you gotta constantly keep that flesh in check. And, and if you, God ever uses any of us for anything, we just gotta remember it's all God that does it. And he'll be doing it when we're dead and gone because that's what he does. And we don't really do anything. He just lets us get in on it, that's all. Tonight, a lot of churches have been splintered and busted and powerless because somewhere along the way, here's what happened. Someone arose, just like in verse 48 or verse 46. I want to be the greatest. That'll lock a church down quicker than anything. And as I'm tell you, it's not always church members. Sometimes it's the preacher. I'll tell you, we need God in this hour, don't we? Don't make no difference to me when God moves. Who's doing the preaching? We just need God to move. What was the 75? How old was that man got saved? Isn't that a blessing? That's what it's all about, isn't it? 75-year-old man got saved on youth night. We probably need to have more youth nights, don't we? That's worth every effort of it. You know, I thank God for this church, the harmony, the unity. I don't know why I'm preaching this sermon tonight other than prevented maintenance, but I thank God for this church tonight. But I tell you, I do have a fear in the day we live in. You young couples, listen to me as well. You, I have a fear. Lord, don't let any of that garbage ever get in our church. Amen. You know what I love about it? I was thinking about our deacons this afternoon when I was preparing this message. You know what I love about our deacons? You, you know, they, we have great spirit-filled men, don't we? 
I love every one of them, and I know you do too. But they just come to church and worship, and there's not one of them is a daddy rabbit. They're not a one of them here. I would never have a negative thing to say about one deacon in this church. Never caused any trouble. Never been, And they're here, spiritual men that walk with God. They, they wouldn't want me to say this, but you know it's true. Is it true tonight, church? We have good deacons in this church. The most, you know what the, 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 the common denominator amongst these men is? There's a lot of things I could say about their spirituality. You know what the common denominator is amongst these men? Is they're willing to be last. It's a great example. They're willing to be in the shadows. And when I think about great men of God, I do think about preachers. But I think about our deacons. They're great men of God. Is that right tonight? They're great men of God. They pray for this church. They serve. They labor. Uh, they give their they give their they give their counsel. I don't know how many times we meet every month, and I don't know how many times sitting down and been praying about something, and God would use one of them in a way that was needed most. I thank God for that. Humility is something that uh, is so needed in the house of God amongst His people. And tonight, I don't want to be the greatest. I could never be the greatest. I'm sure you would say the same thing. I do want to be great for God, don't you? I want to be what God wants me to be. And the only way to do that is get as far down on the bottom as you can get and realize that He don't need me, but I sure do need Him. Amen. Coming to Bible Baptist Church, you know what it is? It's not a right. It's a privilege. To preach here, to be here, to be a member here. I'm not here because I deserve it. I'm here because I've been blessed. Young people, don't ever forget that. When one of these uh, modern liberal, whoever you want to call them, comes along and tells you, well, you don't need that old-fashioned church. You know, you need to go to one of these one-name churches, you know, or one of these weird-name churches like the Lamb's House, you know. I saw that the other day, and I thought, what in the world is that? The Lamb's House. And then I saw one the other day that I wished I could remember the name. I was coming through Virginia, and uh, it'll come to me here in just a minute. But it looked just like, I mean, honestly, I was fixing to pull up. I thought, man, that looks like, Brother Terry, I thought that looks like a great coffee shop, a great restaurant, you know. I thought, I'm going to pull it. And then when I got closer, I thought, no, that's supposed to be a church. Don't ever go to one of those. Don't even visit one of them. If you got a friend, you invite them here, but don't you go there. Amen. Well, they said if I go there, they'll come here. No, don't even do that. Find that in a book. But I'll tell you what you do. You thank God you've been raised in this church. Thank God you've been raised in this church. Amen. In a good church. Amen. You just thank God for where you're at. And God will be good to you. Let's stand tonight. You want to be great? I'm glad we don't have to be the greatest. It's not near as hard to be last as it is to try to be first. Not near as much pressure. A whole lot more help. Lord, help us tonight. Help me tonight. Just to take the message to heart. I know it's a needed message. Don't know why you'd want me to preach it tonight. But Lord, 
just good admonishment to stay humble, to stay low. And what a privilege tonight that you would, Lord, if you'd use a child, then Lord, help us to have that childlike faith, trustworthy, tender, someone that's teachable, that can be trained. Help us to have that kind of faith tonight in Jesus' name. If you need-